always great to be with you as we're going to study God's Word tonight. So, we are going to open up James chapter 2, and I am excited about that. Let us pray, and we will dive into this great chapter. Um, yes, Lord. Father, we just take a moment to open our hearts to you and to say yes to you. You are good and your love endures forever. You are all around us. You are within us, Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that as we read this book, as we think through the words of this book, let our hearts be enlightened, opened, awakened to the truth. And hear the practicality the rebuke and the exhortation of our brother James, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, I hope this evening finds you well. I know I am enjoying a good day and enjoy and, uh, and excited about um, studying further the book of James. Um, this chapter is just, boy, I really, really enjoyed studying this chapter Um before you know uh, uh, leading up to now and just just found some great stuff in here that i need to be convicted of or that i am i was convicted of as we read but also encouragement uh, in in the words of james so let's go james chapter 2 i'm reading from the holman christian standard bible and uh we'll start with verse one my brothers do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For example, a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor man dressed in dirty clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on the man wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor man, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you dishonored that poor man. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Don't they blaspheme the noble name that was pronounced over you at your baptism? Indeed, if you keep the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show your favor if you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law yet fails in one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you are a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who hasn't shown mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. What a place to end. I love that. Okay. Hallelujah. Mercy triumphs over judgment. All right. Well, let's dig in. 
So we finished the last chapter with a sentence that said, Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. What we're entering into now is a further discussion of that sentence. I always think that the, uh, the, the chapter breaks and the verse breaks, sometimes they really fight against us. Um, sometimes they're fine, but sometimes they really fight against us. And we should really read the Bible without those. Uh, um, or just make an attempt when we start in a verse to at least go back and read what preceded it. Because it really colors, uh, it you know, helps us to understand what's coming next. I heard a something <laughs> I just realized. Uh, it's from Dune, <laughs> one of my favorite novels. Um, but it says, it says, a sentence means more than the words that make up the sentence. And I agree with that statement wholeheartedly. Because the full sentence says more than just that collection of words. It's a, it's, it leads us beyond just the meaning of the individual words into something, into something greater. And when we read God's word, that's especially important. When we read the Bible, we need to always be careful that we read in context, that we read the verses that come before and after, and that we see the, the meaning that comes from those words, the verses before, into the verse that we're reading and where the argument is going, because that is that also may change the way we read the verse we're focusing on. So I was trying to do that here. I want to encourage you to do that in your personal Bible reading, that you read the context. And this this uh, verse from chapter one is the context of the comment, my brothers, do not show favoritism. So he says, you know, pure and undefiled religion before our God is we, we take care of those who cannot take care of themselves, the poor, the marginalized, etc. cetera. Uh, and we keep ourselves unstained by the world. And we talked about that a little bit last week at the tail end. But this idea of being unstained by the world means that uh, uh, the world has a set of values. The world has a set of ideas. The world has a, a way of doing things. And we, as followers of Jesus Christ, have been removed from the world. But sometimes we carry those mindsets. We carry those worldviews. That's kind of a dangerous word. But we carry that from the world and from the culture we grew up in and the culture that surrounds us. We carry it into our faith. And, um, and, and those need to be at the very least, recognized that I carried this idea from, this idea doesn't come from the Bible, this idea comes from my culture. Um, we need to be aware of the ideas that we carry in our heads, and we need to let the Word of God, let let the Bible uh, uh, interrogate the, 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 the mindsets that we've carried in from the world. And to be unstained by the world means that there aren't any mindsets that are coming from the culture around us, from the world as it exists and the way that it works, over into the way that we behave as members of the kingdom. 
in this whole section of scripture that we're going after today um, really delves into some of those mindsets and the ways that they are deeply inappropriate in a kingdom setting. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, by his teaching and by his example and by the cross, has set us free from the way the world operates in relationship to specific groups of people. So he says, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. So we have been taught by Jesus not to show favoritism. We, we, uh, and then he immediately jumps into an example uh, that has to do with financial and cultural standing. Um, but, but there are many, many other ways uh, that we could show favoritism. And I'll, I'll get to the financial and social standing uh, example when we get there. But before we get there, I want us to realize that that's just one example. There are many ways in which our uh, we can show favoritism, um, many ways in which we, we judge people uh, and decide without even trying, without even necessarily thinking about it, we decide that they deserve different treatment than other people. Um, uh, we can talk about race, we can talk about gender, we can talk about talent, we talk about the 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 way that they speak, you know, their accent or their uh, the how how you know how many big words they use or don't use, um, uh, proper grammar, etc. Uh, their political views, uh, their criminal record, their position of power in the in the community. Are they connected or are they not connected? Um, you know, how they dress, but we'll get to that in a minute. All of these are ways that we prejudge people. The first time you meet someone, you get, you know, you get that first impression of them. And, and, and we, we have been taught by our cultures to put people in categories based on our impression of them and to treat them specific ways based on the category that they belong to. You know, uh, when I think of, man, I mean, there's so many, so many ways that this works out and so many ways. Now, here's the thing. We can't avoid doing this in our, it's something that's deeply ingrained in us. But what we can do is realize that we're doing it and act in a different way. Okay. We are going to categorize people. That's not really avoidable. I wish it was. And, the, and, and it would be great if over time we could train our brains not to categorize people in this way. And just to see everyone, every human being that we see, to see them as only children of the Most High God, created in God's image, and worthy of honor and worthy of love, our love and our respect. Wouldn't that be great? And as the Holy Spirit continues to work in us, yeah, I think we can move that direction where we don't see people and, and put them in a category or put them in a group and then treat them differently because of the category we've put them in. That, that, 
that's our goal. We want to get to the place where we're not doing that. Um, but I, I don't know anybody that's there, including myself. We automatically put people in those categories. So what we have to do is be conscious of the way that we do that. Pay attention. Oh, I put this person in that category. Just, and I didn't even mean to. It just happened. And so I, I need to begin then to work against that categorization that I've already done. Um, and I've talked about I've talked about the uh, the the dress um, uh, idea. You know that there was this meme years ago of a a picture of a dress that depending on who looked at the dress, they would tell you it was either white and gold or that it was blue and black. And you never, it was so hard because two different people looking at the exact same picture were seeing two different things. And it just, it, it just made all of us, there were big arguments about, about what, what color this dress was or wasn't, you know, it was huge. It was all over the world. Literally the whole world was in this fight. And uh, I read a book about how called how minds change that talks about this and really drill down into what's going on when two people look at the same thing and see radically different things. Uh, we do it all the time. And in the case of this dress, and this is true for all kinds of things, our brains are doing the interpretation of the light that's entering into our eyes before our brains do the interpretation of that because the exact same light is going into my eye and and your and and my wife's eye but she sees it white and gold and i see it blue and black okay same we're looking at the same picture the same exact light frequencies are going into our eyes and hitting our retinas and sending signals to our brain and uh, the difference is that her brain catches those light signals and interprets it back to her consciousness as white and gold. And my brain sees those and interprets it back as black and blue. And uh, we didn't make a choice about how we interpreted that dress. You can't, it doesn't matter what you do, you can't change the way you see that picture. It's just the way it is. That's the way your brain interprets your that that picture you can't change it uh and in the book they talk they go back and they and they figure out the kinds of you know what the kinds of reasons were and what's really interesting is people that spend more time outside and are used to seeing things out outdoors they will see it one way i don't remember which way it was and people that spend most of their time inside looking at screens they will see the dress another way. That's really how the split went, was like that. So it is our history that shapes our interpretation. And that's just as true with people. It is your history that tells you how to interpret a person. And we all interpret people. There's no way around interpretation. We do it without thinking. We do it 
Uh, it just happens. It's a function of our brains. And we should be really glad that our brains work that way. There's a million things that our brains interpret without that interpretation ever happening on a conscious level. It happens at a subconscious level underneath our our consciousness and we just automatically see it a certain way without even trying to do that and we do that with people also but the kingdom should begin to cause us to change our interpretations as we belong to jesus he will begin to change the way we interpret people the way we interpret someone who's dressed nicely someone who speaks well someone who uh is has one kind of skin color over another someone who has a tattoo on their neck okay all someone who dresses in a certain way someone who we we automatically these are all things that we we have built in interpretations that we we just leap to them immediately it's like you know, they did tests where this, you know, young uh, black man got on an elevator and 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 people, you know, women would, would clutch their bags more tightly. And then afterwards, they would ask them, um, why did you do that? And some women that did that uh, would report a reason. Well, I saw and I was worried about this young man. He looked like something and whatever. But some didn't even notice that they had done it. Just It just happened. And it was a cultural response to this person's skin color and this person's dress, right? And we, we, we recognize that we're making these responses un, uh, with, without thought. James is saying it's time to start thinking about the way that we see people and to question the assumptions we make about them. And regardless of the assumptions that we make about them, we must choose to treat them as a person loved by God and welcome in our communities. Now, let's go to his example, which is uh, specifically a rich man walks in, well-dressed, put together, uh, and a poor man walks in, not well-dressed, and kind of disheveled, right? Okay, and how do we treat that person? When we see them, what kinds of doors do we open to them? What kind of opportunities do we give to them? Do we say, sit here in a good place? You're the kind of person that deserves a good seat. Or do we say, you know, you can stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool, which actually implies I'm going to be asking you to do things for me. I, I'm thinking of you as a lower status than myself. Do we do that? I remember one time uh, years ago, uh, I, while I was youth pastor at First Assembly in Fort Wayne, that, uh, that uh, I was doing uh, marriage counseling. And I used to do that quite a bit. I, I try not to do it anymore. I don't enjoy it. And it... Um, well, anyway, <laughs> I just don't like doing it. But, uh, but uh, I it was a Wednesday afternoon. I wasn't going to be able to go home. We had youth service Wednesday night. And so I had gone home at lunchtime and I had put on, 
youth pastory clothes. Okay, so I had shorts on, I had a t-shirt on, I was dressed to hang out with young people. And these two well-dressed uh, uh, individuals came into my office for marriage counseling. And I saw, in one moment, I saw the gentleman look me up and down and decide that he did not have to listen to me. That I was not the kind of person that could give him advice about anything. I was a young man and I was dressed like a teenager. And I saw that all happen in a fraction of a second. And I looked at him and I said, pardon the way that I'm dressed. I'm going to be spending this evening with teenagers and I don't have time to go home and change. So please. And because I recognized that. And uh, I don't know that I was ever able to change that, um, his perception of me. Uh <laughs> based on just that that first encounter and i don't think he ever really listened uh, to anything i had to say uh so so <laughs> we do this but we shouldn't we should we should question our assumptions we should question and recognize and question our judgment of people based on their outward appearance and we should do that because of the gospel of jesus christ uh we tend to see people, and if we put them in the right kind of social category, that means we offer them positions of favor. We, we, have, we open ourselves more to a deeper relationship than just this first encounter. Um, we put them in a position of honor in our groups. Uh, uh, or the opposite, we, we think of them as lower in social standing, less intelligent than ourselves. We kind of talk down to them. Um, come sit here by my footstool. Uh, you know, we, we, we don't think them capable of doing certain things or understanding certain things. And, and it's really difficult. It's really difficult to change the way, uh, the, the way that we treat people and speak to people. Um, in that, in that regard, it's so easy to let our cultural presuppositions just put people in a category and for us to treat them accordingly. And the truth is they carry that expectation into our conversation as well. It's not just us doing that to them, but they also have a certain expectation from us based on the what how they see us we have certain you know uh and okay so like in the church which this is one of the reasons that i i i meet with people outside the church more often i feel like inside the church building i have a a uh a, a cultural power there that's unfair and that makes people feel um that makes people feel defensive immediately. If you come into my office at the church to meet with me, there's a nervousness about it. 
Um, it's like going to the principal's office. Oh, I'm going to the pastor's office, you know, and you come in and sit there, which is also why when they, when we do meet in the building, we don't meet across a desk, right? All of these things are things I'm trying to deconstruct. I don't, I don't want that. I want us to meet as equals. I don't want you to think of me as a person of greater authority or intelligence or any of that than you. Um, I want us to meet on common ground so we can talk like human beings. And so often I don't meet I, when I meet with people, I don't do it at the church. I meet someplace that's neutral, someplace where we are as close, you know, that we can be on the same social setting. Because it, even if we never consciously become aware of that power dynamic, it exists in our subconscious minds and it shapes the way that we speak to each other, shapes the way that we think about each other. This is another reason why I do everything I can do not to see who or how much people give to the church. I really don't want to know that information at all. There are other people that know it, people that need to know it, people that can, you know, and they can, you know, those are the people that, that are in charge of that. I don't want to know because I don't ever want that to be coloring the way that I talk to you. Or the way that I think about you. I don't want to be looking at you thinking, well, you know, you'd be doing better if you actually gave in the offering every once in a while. I don't want that in my head. I also don't want to be thinking, I'm not going to waste my time on you because you don't give very much to the church. And here's the deal. I would consciously work against that mindset if I had, you know, if I knew. Um, but I know that even if I'm consciously working against it, it's still bad. It's still there and I don't want it there. So I do what I can to just stay away from any understanding of, of that. I don't, I don't want to know because I don't want it to shape the way that I minister to you. I want to think of everyone the same. So this whole idea in James's time and in ours is a radical idea to completely disregard everything our culture tells us to think about a person and to honor all people because they are people. It requires the Holy Spirit. We desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to deconstruct all of those categories, all of those. And it's only the Holy Spirit that can help us do this. The Holy Spirit, who knows better than we do, how the inner workings of our brain operate. And we need to lean into the uncomfortability of treating someone who doesn't fit, who, who's, who, uh, of treating someone differently than our brains would categorize them, we, that we should treat them. We treat them with honor. We treat them with respect. We treat them with love. We love them. I love this, uh, I, uh, this last verse. Uh, where it says, haven't you discriminated amongst your, among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Okay, that's verse four of chapter two. Haven't you discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? First of all, Jesus, uh, in Matthew seven tells us not to judge, um, but I love what James is doing. He's holding the mirror up to us and saying, when you make these judgments, when you, you are, you're committing a sin, 
you are uh, you're making assumptions about people's character based on their outward appearance. And those judgments come from the world. This is one of the ways that you're stained by the world. And we need to come back to the cross and come back to the blood of Jesus and say, wash my mind. You know, Paul says to that our minds be would be renewed by the washing of the water with the word. So we just come back to God's word and we 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 offer up the all of the ways that our brains categorize people we offer up all the ways that we that we are biased towards others we just say father here it is teach me to see them the way that you see them teach me to look with your eyes to and to feel with your heart teach me to trust your way and not mine um this whole section of james beautifully echoes galatians 3 in verse 27 it says for as many of you as were baptized into christ have put on christ there is neither jew nor greek there is neither slave nor free there is no male and female for you are all one in christ jesus all of these things that our cultures give us to tell us where people belong in the stratus of honor and respect and how we should treat people, all of that stuff at the cross has been removed. We come to the cross on equal footing. We are all beloved sons and daughters of God who are in need of a savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. None of us is doing better than anyone else. We are all sinners. We're all saved by the same grace. We are put on the same level. The cross is the great leveler of us all. We all come to the cross and nobody gets elevated above anyone else. Jesus, Jesus only is elevated and we are all his and we must see each other through that lens and not the way that we saw each other before. Uh, we no longer, I think, I think this is in, uh, uh, I think this is in Hebrews. We no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. Maybe that's in Galatians still. Maybe I'm just going back further. Um, we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh, even though at one time we regarded Jesus that way, he says. But now we see each other through the blood of Jesus as brother, sister, equal and worthy of our honor and respect and love. We don't judge. We let Jesus do that. We realize that we are the ones who deserve to be judged and that our culture and upbringing may have taught us how to think about these people based on these outward signs. And I'm always fascinated at what they are. For everybody, every person, it's different. You think about <laughs> uh, my good brother, uh, uh, Timothy McCain. Um, your shoes tell tell him a lot about you. That's, that's a big thing. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, you know, or... You know, uh, oh, I don't even know. It, it's just so 
You know, I, I, for me, if you have a working knowledge of Star Wars, that probably means you're a pretty intelligent person. So all, it doesn't. <laughs> so um, all of these silly things that we attach to people and we say, this tells me who you are. Um, and Jesus says, no, I just want to detach all of those. Don't do do that. When you do that, you are breaking uh, you're breaking the law. You're acting against. You're acting against the gospel of Jesus Christ. Huge deal. Huge deal. And we all need help. We all need help. Oh God, we need help. Uh, uh, becoming more like Jesus in this. Verse five. Listen, my dear brothers. Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that He has promised to those who love Him? I love that uh, this reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Jesus is constantly doing this flip around. He's constantly doing this upending of the way the world sees itself and the way that the system of this world teaches us to evaluate each other. Um, uh one of my favorite moments of this uh, is in the book of Revelation in chapter five, where uh, they're weeping because the seal, the scroll in the hand of the father can't be opened. And uh, John is weeping. Oh, it can't be opened. It can't be opened. And then and then the, the elder comes and says, no, no, wait, the lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome to open the scroll, break the seals. And when John turns to look, he looks for the lion and what he sees is a lamb and uh, not just a lamb, but a lamb that's been slaughtered. OK, so this is a lamb that has literally been torn apart. Um, and that lamb is the lion and that flip around the way that the kingdom of heaven takes the things that the world esteems and just tears them to pieces and says, you're the, what you put esteem on is backward. You don't understand how God works. Jesus did it too. Jesus did it all the time where Jesus came and he, uh, at the, the, you know, in the upper room where they had the last supper, all of a sudden Jesus takes off his rabbi robes, puts on, uh, a servant's garment and begins to wash their feet. And all the disciples are like, what is happening? And of course, Peter is like, no, Lord, you won't wash my feet. And Jesus says, you know, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. And of course, Peter goes to the complete opposite end, which he always did. Then wash all of me, you know, and Jesus is like, and when Jesus is done, he, he puts his clothes back on and he says, now that I've done this for you, you need to do this for each other because it's true that no servant is greater than his master, but the son of man himself has come not to be served, but to serve. So here's the king of the universe who is stepping in to the place of servant. The one who rightfully deserves the greatest honor of all other beings is washing feet. This is how he inhabits his kingship. This is how he rules. He rules by serving, which is so backwards from the way the world works. The gospel of Jesus 
changes the way that we understand everything, including the way we understand each other. And we've got to learn to step into that place. When we see the poor, God says, no, I've chosen them to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him. What? Especially back in their day, we do this too. We, we all do this unconsciously. We think, and I've heard, man, I've heard so many times I say things like, well, you know, he runs a Fortune 500 company, so he must be a really intelligent person. Oh, and then we do this backward thing. We, we do that, and we also do the other thing, which says, which says, we, we say to ourselves, uh, um, they must be moral. They must be better than we are in some way if they're on that level of success, right? They must be better than us in some way if they're on that level of success, which is why we platform them. We, we give them a place to speak. We give them authority. We give them opportunity. Opportunity begets opportunity. This is, this is what happens. And people get in this upward spiral of, of influence and opportunity. And we just lift them up and we say, wow, they're so wonderful. And, but the gospel would say all of the cat, all of the reasons that you platform people are the wrong reasons. They're all, and, and this is the problem with our mega churches, with our, with these huge ministries that where the leader just totally falls because what, what has happened is they have been platformed for the wrong reasons. They've been lifted up and acknowledged for the wrong reasons. They've been acknowledged because they're a part of a big church or they're connected to big people or they know how to do, they know how to turn a phrase or they look trendy or, you know, all of these reasons, <laughs> all these reasons that preachers and leaders become, you know, top of the heap kind of preachers and leaders. And then they fall and we're all shocked, right? Well, last time I checked, the ability to preach well and to stir up a crowd, that's not what Jesus esteems. And yet we esteem it. We esteem it and people gather around it. They gather around that gift. But oh, that we would gather around fruit. Oh, that we would gather around wisdom. Oh, that we would gather around not someone who tickles our fancy when it comes to teaching, but the one who's modeling the behavior of Christ better. And that sometimes happens, and I'm grateful for that. Usually it's some other mix of things that makes someone influential, even in the church. And then they fall and we're all shocked. But we did this to them. We did this to them. God forgive us for the way that we operate. He says, the poor are rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom. Yet we dishonored that man in the example that he gave earlier. But don't the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Don't they blaspheme the noble name that was pronounced over you at your baptism? That's the name of Jesus, by the way. That's the name that was pronounced, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Don't they demean that name? Whenever anyone... Um, 
demean demeans the a person who carries the name of Jesus, the most noble name of them all. They're blaspheming the name of Christ. When we demean someone who carries the name of Christ, we are blaspheming. We're saying that Jesus is less than he says he is. When Jesus put his name in that individual, we cannot, we should not, we must not demean them. Because that's blasphemy. It's as if we're demeaning Christ himself. And he's saying, your experience is that it's the rich people that take you to court. It's the rich people that, that, that oppress you. It's the, and yet you want to esteem them and you want to... And, and the poor, which are the primary people that Jesus, the Messiah, went to. And Jesus told us it's it's nearly impossible for a wealthy man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus told us it's nearly impossible for the wealthy person to be righteous. Boy, we could talk all day about how that works, but I'm, I'm really running out of time. Why do we give esteem to those who they have not earned it? We, we should esteem every human being as beloved sons and daughters of God who carry the image of God and who need a Savior as much as we do. And he goes on to go there. He says, here's what you need to do. If you keep the royal law prescribed in the scripture, and he doesn't leave us guessing about what royal what that royal law is, love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, you're doing well. That's the key. Love your neighbor as yourself. I feel like I talk about this all the time because the Bible makes it really clear. This is the key. This is the core. If we and then this is what we are trying to do. Brian Zahn says, life isn't a game, it's a gift, and the point of life is learning to love well. This is why we exist. We exist to learn to love, because love is what makes up the whole of the universe. It That is what God himself is, love. And we are becoming more like him. We are stepping into his way. We are becoming, we are to image him, image love into the world. That's our goal. That's who we are. That's what we want. That's what we're trying to do. To image God into the world. To image love into the world. This is our hope. This is our way. This is what we want. It's what we need to learn how to do. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. If you're doing that, if you're following, I love that he calls it the royal law. And I think the, the royal law is better than the golden rule. The golden rule is doing to others as you would have them do it unto you, which is great. But even better is love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because love goes further than the law. Always. 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 Love is the nature of the law. And the whole of the law, Jesus said, all the law and the prophets are hang on these two things. Love God, love neighbor. That's it. Verse nine. But if you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law of love. 
as transgressors. That means you have broken the law of love. For whoever, verse 10, for whoever keeps the entire law, yet fails in one point, is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So if you commit adultery, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you're still a lawbreaker. What is he saying? All of these laws are just descriptions of the one. The one law, the true law, the final law, the great law, love your neighbor as yourself. And all these other laws, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not uh, commit, you know, uh, uh, bear false witness. All of those laws, all of them, all of them are just ways in which we are loving neighbor as self. Loving neighbor as self is all we need to say. Paul says, the whole of the law is contained in this one thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the law. And if we break any of these, we have broken this one. We have not loved them. We have not loved them. And that means we've broken the law, which is kind of hard. It's like, well, I would never kill anyone. No, but would you gossip about them? Ooh, guess what? You're just as guilty because the, the law we've broken is love your neighbor as yourself. You know, we when I was a kid, we used to talk about how, uh, in kind of taking this verse, we would say that, well, all sin is the same. And I would say that's, uh, it's reductive. Again, we're not saying the whole thing. Because no, murder and stealing someone's chewing gum, not the same thing. But they're both ways of breaking the one law, which is not to love. Okay. They're both ways of breaking the one law. We're still lawbreakers. Verse 12. Speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. Speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. Our words and our actions need to be loving. Um, we'll get to the law of freedom in a second. First, I want to tackle this idea of judgment. We often think that judgment and salvation are the opposite of one another. That because I'm saved, which we talked about that last week, because I'm saved, I won't be judged. And that's just not true. That's just not true. Judgment does not equate automatically with hell. Understand. Judgment does not automatically equate with hell. And sometimes we put those two together. We say, I'm eternally judged, so I'm going, I'm going to hell. These are not the same thing. Followers of Jesus will, will be judged. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Anyone who builds on a foundation... On that foundation, that is the foundation of Christ, may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. That's 
1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15 from the New Living. Okay? Um, we will go through judgment. We absolutely will. And it will be judgment that that's fearful. We will suffer loss. In all the ways that we built on the foundation of Christ that were half-hearted, that were not costly to ourselves, that were just, we were just going with the flow, we were doing what was easy. We All of the things that we have done will be judged. Sometimes we don't know that. Sometimes we don't recognize that. We don't understand that judgment's coming for us as well. And that judgment will lead to reward if we have built with gold, silver, and jewels. Right? What is building with gold, silver, and jewels? That means building with the right motive. That means building with costly materials. What's a costly material? That means I'm not doing this to... Uh, to to gain my for myself i'm not doing this in order to uh for you know to enrich myself or to lift myself up culturally i'm not doing this in order that i might be glorified i am doing all of my like jesus said do your good works in such a way that the world sees them and honors your father in heaven that's the gold, the silver, and the jewels. Jesus talked about this over and over where he said, you know, hey, when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. It Because if people see you giving and are like, oh, great job for giving, that's all the rewards you're going to get. You won't get a reward in heaven for what you did. Store up treasure in heaven, Jesus said. Do things as if heaven was our only audience and the only one we care about is him. He's the one we're trying to win his esteem. And that's not salvation related. That's not. We're, we are saved not by what we do, by what Jesus did for us. That's how we avoid hell because of what Jesus has done. But after that question is settled by the cross of Jesus Christ, our eternal reward or lack thereof, comes from the way we participate with God in the arena of faith. How devoted were we? How costly was our faith? You know, there's this moment in the Gospels uh, where Jesus is talking about this, and Peter says to him, hey, we gave up everything to follow you. And Jesus looks at them, and instead, you know, you kind of think because this happens a lot, you, it kind of you kind of think, oh, Peter's about to get rebuked, right? Oh, here comes another another scathing rebuke from Jesus for Peter, uh, uh, but he doesn't. He says, "You will sit on thrones and rule over the tribes of Israel." Boom. Okay, and Jesus says, "No one who's given up anything." for me, will go unrewarded. God is a big believer in rewarding correct behavior, and not just behavior, but motive. 
So will we be judged? Yes, we will. And my friends, that's really good news because it means that the things that we do for God don't go unnoticed. They will be eternally rewarded. <laughs> we got to learn. We have to understand that the ways that we sacrifice for him in this life, we will be so grateful that we made that wise decision. Jesus says wisdom is, uh, is honored by its children. In other words, when we make wise, eternally wise choices, we gain eternally wise benefits, eternally glorious benefits. But when we make eternally foolish choices, we suffer great loss forever and ever. For judgment is without mercy to the one who hasn't shown mercy. Oh, and I didn't even talk about, boy, we're, we're really out of time now, but the law of freedom. God's law always leads us to freedom. Always, always, always leads us to freedom. Hold to my teachings, Jesus said, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. One who follows God's decrees will find full liberty and will be blessed in what he does. I got that from a, from a um, commentary. God's laws have always been meant to set us free. They've never been meant to enslave us. Sin enslaves us. God's law sets us free. First John 5, 3. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That is good news for us, and that should be good news through us to the world. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So we need to live as those who are going to be judged by the law of freedom. And part of living that way is showing mercy to the world. We need to, uh, I love St. Francis of Assisi was said to have walked the world as the pardon of God. Man, I want that. I want to be one who's known and seen as one who walks the world as the pardon of God. That everywhere I go, that everything I do is constantly speaking to the world. Forgiveness is for you. You are free. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right, we're done. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for judgment. Teach me about it. And teach me to live, to speak, and act as one who will be judged by the law of freedom. Teach me to be one who lives out of the space, the deep knowledge that mercy triumphs over judgment. I ask this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Amen. My friends, I love you. God bless you.